This drink, I like it. I know, it's great, right? Another! What's going on, everybody? Welcome to a brand new podcast. Welcome to Film on Tap, the bi-weekly podcast where we talk movie news, we talk movie trailers, we talk movies in general, and so much more. And in this podcast, I'm joined by my two great friends here, Andres Gallego and Nancy Rodriguez. And we're going to be here every couple of weeks to talk movies with you guys. And we called it Film on Tap for one main reason. We're going to be drinking a little bit. It might be beer, it might be liquor, or maybe if we've had a rough weekend, it might just be water or iced tea. You be the judge of that, but we encourage you, whatever you feel comfortable drinking, by all means, you know, bring it on to the show. Enjoy the show with us. Have a good time. You know, kick back, relax, and just enjoy the show. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce you to my co-host, first of which is Andres. Andres, how are you doing today, sir? I'm about this much from feeling great right now. Is this water <laughs> or is this vodka? You be Who knows? Much. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, I do I do prefer my drinks uh, shaken, not stirred, as a certain uh, British secret agent loves to do, which yeah, I as found gentlemen is do. actually, I found actually that that sort of drink um, doesn't actually compute to actually a really good one, actually. But, you know, you got to <laughs> augment it in any way you can. But I'm doing doing quite well, doing quite well today. <laughs> Great to hear that. Great to hear that. And how about you, Nancy? How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. Saw a movie already this morning. I'm on top of it. Awesome. I Love too, we can't see it very much, but I too am drinking a little <laughs> bit of water today, recovering just slightly, but you know, still, still feeling good. <laughs> Happy to hear you're a champ. But since we're all ready, at least mostly ready, let's jump into our first topic of the day. We're going to be talking some movie trailers, people. And there are some big ones to talk about. We're going to hit maybe the top three that we have noticed in the past you know, couple of weeks that we really want to talk about. The first of which we got to talk about this one. It's a big trailer that came out, I think, maybe a couple of weeks ago. And that is the trailer for The Matrix Resurrections. It is a brand new Matrix sequel that is going to be hitting theaters and HBO Max this December. Uh, before I get into my thoughts, let's shoot over to Nancy. What did you think of this trailer? Big, big trailer. I surprisingly liked it. As much as I loved the Matrix movies, I was very hesitant about them making another one. But when I saw the trailer, I was like, oh, yes, this is really good. And they packed in so much into the trailer that it was. I'm so excited for it now. How about you, Andres? Well, before the move, before I even saw a single frame of this film, uh, when it was still just like the announcement of the Matrix Four, I don't know if 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 you if you asked me my opinion was, I would have been like, give me a blue pill so I can I can forget (laughs) about this and this doesn't happen. But after seeing that trailer and seeing where they're going with it. It got me very excited, actually. Like, I'm I'm excited, but I'm cautiously excited. Because, again, this is the Wachowskis, or one Wachowski. I forget which one it was, if it was Lana or if it's Lily directing it. Mm -hmm. But this is the first Matrix film in which the Wachowskis are not directing together. Only one of them is. So that leads me to have a little bit of apprehension, but I'm still hopeful for it. And also, any movie with Yaya, Duel Martin II, count me in that that dude is phenomenal that dude is amazing as an actor i mean if any of you have seen Watchmen, or if any of you have seen any of the other stuff that he's been in over the past couple of years dude's having a hell of a year this year mm. absolutely i mean i'm pretty much on the same page with like both of you guys like i really went into this not expecting really much at all 
from it. Uh, I, I mean, I like the, the Matrix movie. I mean, I love the first one and the sequels have kind of grown on me a little bit. But uh, the trailer I went into with very low expectations and found myself really having enjoyed it. I mean, I think it's kind of got a cool take. You know, you're getting a good sense of the story, at least a little bit. You're wondering how in the world Neo is back, how Trinity's back. There's a lot of mystery and allure afoot. The visuals look amazing. Like I said, yeah, you know, like, you know, Andre said, Yahya Abdul-Mateen is in the proceedings this time as like this Morpheus-like figure, loving that. The action looks spectacular. I mean, I'm pretty amped. I mean, if you told me like a year ago, I'd be amped for another Matrix movie all these years later, I'd, I'd tell you you're you're a fucking moron. <laughs> like that's, that's exactly. A, like that's that's how I feel about it. But um, yeah, I was pleasantly surprised by this one. I mean, you know, are you guys going to see this one in the theater or are you going to do the HBO Max route? I'm, I'm still not sure. I'm still a little bit iffy in terms of theaters. Uh, I tried to go when there's, you know, hardly anyone there. So I might see this one in theaters just because... When you think about like the first Matrix and how awesome that was to see in theater with all the special effects and everything, I kind of want to see if I can get that back, you know, get that vibe back by seeing it in the theater instead of at home. So we'll see. We'll see. Gotcha. Oh, yeah. Gotcha, still, gotcha. Yeah, no, still this day, one of the most indelible movie going experiences for me was seeing the very first matrix in South America, actually, because the thing was, I remember me and my uncle, we got like a huge thing of popcorn and we went to the theater and literally we, this is the first time and the only time since that's ever happened where we've gotten concession and literally we just watched that movie and literally the bar, the bag of popcorn is completely full because we never touched it all throughout. Like we were just <laughs> laser focused in on that movie. And I just remember being like, wow this is this is gonna go down as one of the best movie going experiences i've ever had and mm. for something like that it's always followed up with the matrix movies as as they proceed and stuff like that however my reason to go see it in theaters is far different than like oh whether or not i'm comfortable or not i i think i've kind of gotten to the point where i'm like you know what we're gonna we're all gonna have to find a way to deal with it in some way shape or form you know I, I'm, I'm going to try to enjoy myself as much as I can. I'm fully vaccinated yeah. and all that stuff. So that's not, that's not what's concerning me right now. What's concerning me is the fact that this is at least for now, it's labeled as the start of a new trilogy. And oh, yeah. the problem is, is that because it's going to go on HBO max, that's going to cut the box office significantly down. And this movie needs to make a certain amount in order for the sequels to get greenlit. And I'm pretty sure that this movie is going to end on a cliffhanger as well. And mm. it's the same thing of why I'm going to go see Dune in theaters as many times as I can, because I want to see all the rest of those films pop up. But yeah, it's 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 just a case of I just want to see more of these. And it all depends on what the box office is, because unfortunately, no one knows exactly how much is made in HBO Max. I think it's one of the most... I think it's one of the most stupidest decisions Warner Bros. has ever done releasing it like that. I mean, like you look at you, you look at a movie like like I, I actually saw a movie on your recommendation, Tom. Um, I actually saw uh, Reminiscence and I actually oh, really okay. enjoyed the shit out of that movie. Yeah, but, that's what I like to hear. Yeah. But 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 you look at the box office. It barely. Made oh, it's a business. Yeah. It barely made 10 million dollars in its lifetime in theaters. That's mm -hmm. that's insanity for a movie starring Hugh Jackman and Rebecca Ferguson. No reason that movie should have been that low. If it was only in theaters and 
released on HBO Max, maybe a month later, it would have been significantly higher, I think. But anyway, that's the end of my diatribe. That's my long <laughs> that's rant, my rant. <laughs> about, about why I'm going to go see The Matrix in theaters and why I think anybody who's watching this should at least, if you can, and if you feel comfortable, go off and support the movie in theaters because that's that's the only way the studios will know if we want a sequel or not. Very, very true. This rant brought to you by Geico. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to shift gears now as Andres tries to digress and breathe a little bit. We're going to be <laughs> shifting gears to a musical, and that's uh, a musical that's got a little bit of controversy surrounding it due to its main lead, but it's a Steven Spielberg musical. We got a brand new trailer for West Side Story, uh, his reimagining of that classic musical. So before I get into my thoughts, let's shoot over to Andres. What did you think of West Side Story now that you're starting to breathe a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm actually very intrigued by where they're going with it. And mm-hmm. you attach Steven Spielberg's name on anything, I'm automatically going to go see it. Like, right. Ready Player One was an adaptation I felt was impossible to do in terms of just reading the book all those years ago and then being like, how are they going to put that on screen? And then literally, they just did it with the greatest of ease. So I will oh, always... It was beautiful. Yeah, it was good. It was it it was one of those things where I remember being over at San Diego Comic Con when they premiered the trailer in front of all of us. Like this was this was an early version of the trailer, and we literally were looking at it like, wait a minute, is that Freddy getting blasted? And that's Jason over there. Is that freaking like like so many characters? And you're like Master Chief. What are all these people doing all in the same movie? So again, I'm I'm very excited for it. But we're talking about West Side Story. West Side Story is one of those films that has had such a troubled production. I mean, like, there's so many people that have been attached to it. Like, uh, evidently, Michael Bay, his favorite movie of all time is West Side Story. And there's even talks of when he was on board to direct. There's even talks of... Oh, man. Um, oh, God. No, thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Oh, God. Damien <laughs> Chazelle, I believe, at one point was in talks to direct it. And, you know, it only took someone like Spielberg for it to come about. And having said that, they did say they were going to clean up a little bit of the racial tension that is kind of very present in the original film, which, again, I think clean up is okay, but don't flat out omit it because that's a big part of the story still. Well, he says in the trailer, like, if any... What does he say? If any gringo talks to you, you walk away or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it is very, like, upfront in the trailer. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I'm I'm still very, very excited for where it's going to go. And again, Steven Spielberg, always, always there day one. Um, the lead. Yeah, that's the, it's it's funny how they're it's funny how they're trying to cut away from him. And he's the lead. That's <laughs> yeah, that, that's going to be interesting. But but Tom, but real quick, um, can you let all of us know who don't necessarily know about the controversy, what exactly that entails? Uh, I believe, and this is from what I've read, I've kind of uh, like I've read an article here or there, but it seems that uh, he was accused of some sort of like sexual like grooming with underage girls and just allegations from oh. all the, like underage girls. So he I mean. Granted, like, I don't know if that's actually the specifics, but that's what I heard. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of people were talking about it on social media, naturally. Um, We're talking about Ansel Elgort? Yeah, Yeah, Ansel Elgort. Yeah, the main star of the movie. And, you know, he got into a lot of heat. And then he, like, I don't know, in a weird way, was, like, trying to deny it. But then at the same time, it didn't really seem like he was, like, vehemently denying it. it. Like, I don't know. It was just, like, a very... 
I don't know, diplomatic answer that didn't quite satisfy me personally. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it left a lot of people with a bad taste in their mouths. And then like when this first trailer came out, like a lot of people, basically almost every comment I saw was like, it's hard for me to watch this trailer, you know, with Ansel Elgort being in the lead. And frankly, I kind of agree with those people because it's like I'm watching this trailer and you could tell they're really kind of trying to cut away from him as much as possible, like Andre says. And, you know, it's kind of hard to get even a feel for his performance. And yet his story is like like the central romance of the movie. So that's really weird. Um, I mean, really, all I could say about the two trailers that have come out for the movie so far is that I think it looks gorgeous. I mean, it's a Steven Spielberg movie and I think it looks beautiful. The cinematography is gorgeous. It looks colorful and vibrant and Spielberg certainly leaning into the whole musical aesthetic. But yeah, I mean, I definitely think it's going to be a little bit hard for me to get past the lead and that whole controversy in order to enjoy it. But I hope I can enjoy it, but we'll see. I don't know. How do you guys feel? Well, I have three confessions to make one. I actually have never seen any version of West Side Story And I actually didn't know it was based off of Romeo and Juliet up until like maybe two years ago. (laughs) Uh, So as much as I would love to say I'm super familiar with the story, I'm not, you know, as familiar other than I know the basics of Romeo and Juliet and what that's going to entail and how that was incorporated into West Side Story, the basics. And third, I had no idea about any of this Ansel Elgort stuff going on. I thought they were cutting away because I was like, there's no way this guy can sing. Like he probably sucks. (laughs) That's why they're not showing him in any other trailer. And okay. turns out it's far, far worse. So yeah. I mean, that's so unfortunate. I'm assuming they shot the movie and then all this came out later. Yeah. Yeah. Which just sucks so bad, uh, you know, because it does look so, so beautiful. And again, it's Steven Spielberg, like, he can't go wrong. I feel like so. I that's unfortunate. I feel like I I'm I'm hoping once I do see it, I'll be able to kind of just enjoy what I can from it while also being aware of yeah. Okay, this is yeah probably the last time we're gonna see you in a while. Yeah, I mean it's gonna be hard for me to even watch Baby Driver now between Ansel Elgort and Kevin Spacey. It's like come on. <laughs> it's like a fucking way it's like now it's like it comes on tv and i'm like oh shit they're both in it (laughs) yeah there's there's only one thing that i'm watching this trailer and i'm thinking one thing where's christopher Plummer when you need him because he could just literally replace ansel is it is it ansel or like i keep getting his name wrong i feel like it's like ansel like german yeah it's a coin toss i don't know (laughs) yeah like i i worked in movie theater back when uh the fault in our stars was coming out and i've heard it pronounced so many different ones ansel ansel angel angel yeah (laughs) there's no g in there that's that's exactly it Jesus. Oh my God. But um, yeah, so I mean, I feel like we could all agree at least it looks beautiful and it looks like it has the potential to be a good musical. But yeah, I feel like that controversy is definitely hurting it. And I'm sure Spielberg was pissed when he heard about that. <laughs> I mean, oh, it's literally yeah. just like your lead in the movie has this controversy and you can't really just like replace him and reshoot it. You kind of just have to come out with the movie. I mean, I feel for the guy. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, it's not like Army of Darkness where you can just, boop, boop, you know. Yeah, exactly. Have all oh, the money yeah. to do that. But yeah. 
But, you know, speaking of armies, let's go with this natural transition. You know, uh, this past, you know, within the past year, I think I'm trying to think when it was. I think it was maybe back in March or I don't remember. But uh, it was Zack Snyder came out with Army of the Dead, like a new Netflix movie that came out after, you know, um, his version of the Justice League movie came out. And it was kind of his, you know, big bloody return to the zombie genre, which, you know, a lot of people really did enjoy. And to a lot of people's surprise, we have this prequel to that movie coming out called Army of Thieves, which centers on the German character in um, Army of the Dead uh, and his adventures before the events of uh, Army of the Dead. I mean, I'm, I'm honestly, I keep thinking I'm going to say Army of Darkness, and I think it's going to happen once. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I absolutely think it's going to happen once. But this is the prequel to that movie. Uh, the trailer came out. I think it hits theaters, uh, not theaters, it hits Netflix at the end of the month. What do you guys think of this trailer? We'll start with Nancy. Yeah, it's very interesting. I didn't, I, I think I may have said Army of Darkness before too. Um, yeah. <laughs> my bad. You know what I, everyone knew what I meant. Yeah, I don't know. Army of Thieves looks very interesting. I didn't know, like, is this a base, like, was this already a prequel before and they're redoing it or this is a whole new, like, I mean idea? No, I think, like, I think Snyder came up with, like, both movies at the same time and he came out with uh army of the dead and then like he's like oh yeah we also have a prequel coming out and i think there's going to be like some sort of animated series or something from what yes, I hear. there is it's, it's already in development right now or at yeah. least they've already they've already animated it and they filmed it or they recorded it they're just mm -hmm. waiting for whenever it's going to come out gotcha. i mean that sounds good because i feel like you can get a lot of a lot out of that character um mm -hmm. yeah the main character just seems really fun and i love the uh, well i saw two different trailers. The first trailer I saw was when they're cracking the cases and she's like, go. And then, you know, try to mm -hmm. uh, see who can do it first. Um, so yeah, so I, I don't know. It looks pretty good. I'm a little iffy on it, but we'll see. One thing I will say, and you know, I hate to be the Debbie Downer about it. And it, I'm sure she's such a minor character, but I really, really hope that the lady who is in the wheelchair is actually a disabled actor. There's no reason you mm -hmm. cannot hire a disabled actor to play a minor role, uh, which it seems like she's going to have somewhat of a minor role. So gotcha. that's my two cents on that. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, Andres, what did you think of the trailer? Did it like hit the right notes for you or? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Dieter in in um, Army of the Army of the Dead was certainly one of the standouts for me in that film. Um yeah, and I know I know when Army of the Dead came out, it got panned by by the fans and by critics. It was one of those that I personally I love Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead. Oh my god, controversial thought because because <laughs> uh, like honestly, uh, uh, props to George Romero. He directed maybe indelibly the best zombie movie ever made in Dawn of the Dead. But Zack Snyder and James Gunn's remake of Dawn of the Dead is so much fun. It's so much fun. And getting a hint of that back in Army, Army, Army of the Dead, I was almost about to do it right there. Um, getting a hint of that back in Army of the Dead was such a well-returned form for me. And I just had so much fun watching that movie. And then seeing that Army of Thieves is coming out, it's it's only giving me more of the same, um, but more of the same, but, but what I loved about the first film. And with the fact that this is going to have a very, from what I hear, it's going to have a very minimal zombie presence, if any. And it's just going to focus on the character Dieter before all the events that happened. It's it's going to be very interesting. It's going to be very interesting to see why, why this character in particular was chosen for that dangerous of a mission in 
in the uh, follow-up film. And then also he's supposed to play a bigger role in the, in the, uh, the animated series as well. So mm. no, no, no matter what happens, I'm going to be excited for it. I am, I'm up and down with Snyder. Um, I'm mm. a Snyder apologist to a certain extent, okay. like say what you will about, about the, about the quality of the movies that he's come out with, but you cannot deny that the guy tries to make really, really, really fun films. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we're going to get with army of thieves. No, I mean, I completely agree. I mean, I enjoyed Army of the Dead. I didn't enjoy it as much as I wanted to, uh, granted. But Dieter was absolutely my favorite character in the movie. I felt like, I don't know about you guys, but he felt like the only character that like knew what movie he was in. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, it, yes. like, like if that makes yes. sense. Like, I felt like Zack Snyder wanted to make this like fun, violent zombie movie. And everyone else is like so deadly serious. Like, oh, my God, we're surrounded by zombies. And this guy's like, uh-huh. <laughs> like, he's just, like, <laughs> like he's just having fun. Like he's cracking safes. Like he's asking all these questions. Like he's the only one kind of making light of everything. And like I enjoyed his character a lot. So when I heard that they were making a uh, like a prequel that was going to have him in the lead, I was like, absolutely. I'll, I'll watch this and the trailer looks like a lot of fun i mean i like that it's kind of it's got this kind of like oceans 11 kind of vibe to it of like you know you have all and even like he even calls it out in the trailer it's like you know are we all here because you all have a special set of skills that make us like uniquely qualified for this yes. like mission i was like that and was she's like, like yes that, exactly yeah, that, was, that, was the, mm-hmm. that was like the line that like won me over it's like all right this movie definitely knows what it is and they're very meta about it and i'm really excited to see like him at the forefront and like uh, where this movie takes us and what it like fleshes out about this character. Cause I felt like the army of the dead in terms of his character kind of proposed a lot of questions about his past before he got and, you know, involved with these people. So mm-hmm. I feel like now we're going to kind of fill in those gaps a little bit. And I'm really intrigued to see where that goes, but more than anything, it looks like a lot more fun than army of the dead. And I think we're going to have a good time with it. And I'm really excited that it's coming out in October, which I think is perfect. Um, and I, I think it has a potential to be better than army of the dead. I don't know about you guys, but I think it might be better. I think so too. I, I really do. Also side note, very, uh, very good Pee Wee Herman laugh there. I appreciate it. Oh, thank it. you. Yeah. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, are they going to pick up on it? <laughs> but, uh, shifting gears now we've covered the big trailers we wanted to cover. So we're going to touch on a little bit of movie news, not a crazy amount, maybe just a couple things, you know, this upcoming Friday, uh, in the U S we have no time to die. The swan song for Daniel Craig's bond is hitting theaters finally after numerous delays, Um, And a lot of people have been talking about who might be able to replace Daniel Craig or who's going to be chosen to replace Daniel Craig. And it was announced by uh, Barbara Broccoli, one of the producers of the Spawn series, that they were going to start looking in 2022 for a suitable replacement. Uh, So obviously, you know, fans are speculating over who might be chosen and who they want to be the next Bond. So my question to you both is. Who would you like to see as the the next Bond? Is it one of these big names being tossed out, like Idris Elba, Henry Cavill, Tom Hardy? Or do you have someone else in mind? Do you not really care? Do you want it to be someone lesser known? Let's start with you, Andres. Where do you fall? Me, as a big fan of the Bond franchise, and having just gotten all 25 films, yes, I said 25, because there's <laughs> the one movie that uh, Sean Connery produced not under Eon Productions called Never Say Never Again, which I actually really adore quite a bit. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, having bought all those and kind of going through my Bond rewatch before No Time to Die, it's one of those things where you look at the castings. Some of these people have come out of nowhere. They've been mm-hmm. plucked from obscurity and brought into the spotlight. However, I will say that back in the day when all these rumors about Idris Alba or Henry Cavill were out and about, I 
I think it was, I think it's an amazing idea, but now that they're well-known and they're established in other franchises, mm-hmm. I would like to see somebody completely different. And again, it's, it's, the, it's a little better when you just pluck someone out of obscurity because you don't have a mental, a mental mainframe for what they've been in previously. I mean, hell in no Majesty in, um, on her majesty's secret service, they plucked George Lazenby out of nowhere. He had never done a single movie in his life. He was not even an actor. He just was plucked from like, Oh, you look like someone who could replace uh, Sean Connery. Uh, you'd be a suitable bond. And arguably he's probably one of, one of the best ones. And we've only gotten one film from him. But having said that, I love the idea of, Alba and I love the idea of Henry Cavill as Bond, but I would love to see someone brand new take the role and sort of do something different with it. Mm. Such as, <laughs> who would you pick? <laughs> uh, again, again, um, I mean, there, there's there's a couple of really like off the kilter choices so far that I can think of off the top of my head, but um. Oh no, but he's pretty well known though. I mean, I think I think people have sort of forgotten about uh, Clive Owen, but I thought he would have been a great Bond at one point. Um, oh my goodness, I've had someone in my head, and like literally, I'm blanking right now. <laughs> well, let me ask you guys this: What do you think makes a good Bond? Ooh, that's a good question. Honestly, like. I think Daniel Craig kind of like redefined what I want Bond to be, if that makes sense. Like I've seen some of those older Bond movies and, you know, they definitely had their certain style to them. They were definitely more gadget heavy, a little bit more cheesy, a little bit more like eye winky, which like worked for those movies, granted. But I like the grittier Bond personally. I I like the Bond that Craig has been, who has been, you know, visceral and aggressive and you know, vulnerable in his own way and where he hasn't had to rely on gadgets where it's almost been kind of like a Batman-esque Bond where like he's kind of like, you know, he's on his own. He's using his wits. He's using his intellect, but he's still the Bond that we all know and love. So for me, like, okay, I want my Bond to be suave. I want him to be kind of like, I want him to have a tough exterior. Like he's been through some shit, which, you know, this Daniel Craig is absolutely, you know, this iteration of Bond has been through some shit. And we've learned about that throughout the course of these movies. He's lost things. He has a tragic past, you know, and we've delved into that, which I think is great, you know, but also having that kind of soft interior where like, he's not unlikable. And I think Craig kind of, he struck that perfect balance between kind of being, you know, unlikable in some ways, but likable enough in other ways where those ways in which he's likable outweigh the ways in which he's not likable. So like, I want there to be a little air of mystery, a little bit of suaveness, but I also want him to be vulnerable in a way that feels earned, if that makes sense. I mean, this might've been a little bit rambly, but I feel like that is ultimately kind of like what I want from my bonds. I don't want like the cheesier old school bond. I want kind of a new age, grittier, modern day kind of bond that I feel like Craig has established. And I really kind of want to see that carried on into the new movies. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, I feel similarly. I think that's how you say that. Um, <laughs> it's a tough one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. Uh, my thought for the next Bond, and it's a, it's a little out there, but I was thinking, what about Riz Ahmed? Because he is very suave. He, it mm. brings in a little bit of diversity into the, into the Bond universe. And uh, not the Riz Ahmed I saw in Venom, but the Riz Ahmed I saw in mm. uh, Sound of Metal. He has a little bit more muscle. He's a little bit more gritty. I feel like mm-hmm. he could potentially pull it off a little bit. Okay. 
that that I think is a very interesting interesting uh, way to take it. Absolutely. The I mean, but but you asked the question about um, what I think makes a suitable bond right off the bat. I will say that probably there's a couple of things that Bond needs to have. And I agree with you, Tom, where he needs to be gritty. He needs to be dark. But also, if you read the book, he's written in a way where he's almost like Dexter. If Dexter was a secret agent, he's a killer, first Mm -hmm. and foremost. Like M is constantly berating him for killing their assignments. And they're going like, you know, we wanted to question him, not kill him. It's like he, he just can't turn it off. And I think Craig, he really, really nailed that viciousness that's in Bond. But mm-hmm. also, I will say that he also nailed the the suave in the uh, the more emotional beats of the film. Like that film, like that moment with Vesper in the shower, I think is truly indicative of what he's capable of as Bond. But going back to one, one of the previous Bonds, my favorite Bond is actually Pierce Brosnan, actually. Because I thought he nailed that grittiness in his first two films, they progressively got sillier and sillier, but that's not Brosnan's fault. That's the freaking writing that's on that. And if you recall, Martin Campbell directed Brosnan in Goldeneye, and he also directed Casino Royale. And it it, it feels like both of those two films are very similar in, in so many respects in terms of presenting Bond as the killer aspect. So that's what I think needs to be included with Bond. He needs to be suave. But he also needs to be able to turn on that killer mode at any point in time. Like there's an amazing sequence in Tomorrow Never Dies where Brosnan is about to kill off one of the um, one of the villains lackeys. And then like he has a gun pointed straight to his head. And then the lackeys going, wait, I'm just a professional doing a job. And then Brosnan just looks at him and just goes, me too. Bam. I'm like, oh, that's that's. That's, that's yeah, cold blooded right there. Love it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> but see, so like that, the thing that's kind of that's kind of yeah. why I feel Bond is needed. But the right. single thing above all, I'm sorry, he needs to be British. <laughs> what? Oh yeah, I think. Uh, yeah. I guess. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree. Because because again, it's it's like it's it's a property that's centered in Britain. It's a property that's 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 representative of that country. So yeah, absolutely, he needs to be British. And Riz Ahmed is British. So there you Fair. go. <laughs> it all comes together. It all comes back to Riz Ahmed. Yes. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like the main thing for me with Bond, and I think I said this on like social media earlier this week, is that everyone's throwing out these big names and that's fun and all, but I don't like big names. I don't like people with big notoriety because for me, it's an issue because I stop seeing Bond and I start seeing Henry Cavill. I start seeing Tom Hardy. I start seeing Idris Elba. And I'm like, I want to see Bond. And the reason why I think Daniel Craig worked as Bond when he made his debut was because he kind of had low notoriety at the time. Really, not a lot of people knew who he was. They might have seen him pop up in a couple of things, but no one knew Daniel Craig, which is why when he showed up as Bond, you're like, oh, shit, that's Bond. I, I don't see Daniel Craig. And then he earned his star status. So now you see Daniel Craig, the star, but also you see Bond because he's kind of cemented himself so well as that character. So for me, I don't know about you guys, but I'd rather someone with lower notoriety give them a chance to shine because there's probably so many great actors right now that we don't even know about, great British actors that are just looking for that role to shine in. And why not Bond? Yeah, I yeah. agree. I don't I don't think I would like a big name either. It's exactly what you said. It just takes away from it mm. being Bond instead of that actor. Absolutely. It's sort of the same thing of like, you know, whenever you cast uh, Batman or or especially, you know, what? probably actually a better comparison. 
is when the casting was going around for uh, Spider-Man to join the MCU. Everybody was saying all these name actors from all these like young adult movies. Um, right. uh, the guy from Hunger Games auditioned and apparently he did a great audition. They wanted, uh, what's his name, uh, Taron Edgerton as, as Peter Parker, which again, both fantastic actors. But who ended up getting picked? Tom Holland. An obscure British British actor who'd only been in like maybe two or three movies before that. And he's simultaneously redefined the role for a whole generation. People absolutely love him. There, there's an entire movement where it's like, you know what? No matter what happens in the Sonyverse, keep Tom Holland. And, and that's that's a big thing. And again, was Tom Holland the first choice? No, no, he was not. He was not on anyone's radar. I think what people need to do is they need to give a solid chance for whoever comes on board to basically make the role their own and not judge it nearly as bad as Craig was judged before Casino Royale came out. Gotcha. No, I, I absolutely agree with that. I mean, I'm definitely curious to see who they end up casting as Bond, but for the moment, I just want to enjoy Craig's swan song and I want to just kind of take in those last moments of him as Bond. And I'm glad that they're actually waiting till 2022. I think they even said like, let Daniel like enjoy his swan song, let him enjoy this, let the people enjoy this. Let's not rush just yet which I appreciate. Yeah. We, we all, we all want to rush to see what the next thing is. I mean, like even back when Craig just finished Spectre, like, like, like people were going like, so uh, are you going to do the next one? He's like, no, fuck no. I don't want to do another bond right now. And, and, and a a comparison I heard from a really great friend of mine um, after she had a, after she had a child, it's like, it's like you having a child and then literally you just having a child and then someone asking you, hey, do you want to have another one right now? It's like, no, you want to give yourself some time. Like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> but again, that, that's, let that, me that, relax. Yeah, exactly. But it's like one of those things where it's like, like you look at Craig and how he prepares you. You completely understand that. It's like, you know what? Give yeah. him a little bit of time, guys. Yep. People just want everything right now. They want who they want to know who the next bond is right now. Give it a couple, give it a couple, give it a couple of months at least. So yeah. there you go. I mean, it's like the guys in his what fifties, like give him a minute. <laughs> like, he was, like I said, he needs his rest. Yeah. Yeah. He he's in his fifties now, but he was like near the end of his thirties when he was cast. He's Craig is going to be the longest running bond we've ever had. Yeah. And I guess that's probably doing a large part of that, like, like five year gap between Spectre and now, I guess. Well, yeah, the, the five year gap and then also the, the gap with COVID uh, coming in yeah. as well. I mean, like No Time to Die was supposed to come out one month before we before we entered the pandemic, because I remember seeing a trailer for No Time to Die in mm. front of Onward and in front of the Invisible Man and being like, oh, we only got to wait one more month for the swan song. And yeah. there you go. Yeah, it's such a shot. Hey, look, I'm just happy we're finally getting it. But, uh, you know, shifting gears from Bond to another big piece of news. This is a more controversial piece of news. Uh, in other news, uh, a Super Mario Brothers movie has been announced that is going to be done by Illumination Studios, I believe, which uh, they did the Despicable Me uh, movies. They did the Minions movie. I think they're coming out with another Sing movie uh, this Christmas. Uh, and we got like a star-studded cast, but it's there's no like uh, Italian actors uh, casting the leads of Mario and Luigi. I think we've got Chris Pratt, we've got Charlie Day, and most of the cast is um, not what a lot of fans were hoping to see. And it's caused a little bit of controversy, especially in the Italian community of people who wanted more representation in those title roles. So it's been kind of like a, uh, a hot subject, a hot button subject. 
Um, what do you guys feel about this? We'll start with Nancy. Are you kind of in the same area where you're, you know, kind of up in arms about this casting? Or are you kind of waiting to reserve judgment? Um, I'm somewhere in between. So uh, in, in a, the wide question of should you have someone with this same ethnicity voicing someone of that ethnicity? Um, I'm OK if it's not like for me personally, if I'm Hispanic, so if someone who is not Hispanic is voicing someone who's Hispanic, it doesn't particularly bother me. However, that changes when it's a very stereotypical character or very st- stereotypical voice. If you have someone who's doing like a really hardcore Spanish accent, or in the case of Mario, a very stereotypical Italian kind of accent, uh, you might want to cast someone who's Italian or, you know, not white boy Chris Pratt. Um, <laughs> as much yeah. as I love Chris Pratt, you know, I don't think he's going to do horrible with it, but that's kind of beyond the point. Well, right. not horrible. I don't know if he's going to do great at it. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm a little nervous about it in, in mm-hmm. general. Um, so yeah, I just think in particular, like specifically with this, because you're doing such a stereotypical voice for it, or that is what it requires, um, that probably looking outside of Chris Pratt. Now, for all we know, maybe Chris Pratt is going to go in there and just be Chris Pratt and he's just going to use his voice and we're going to call that Mario, which that is whole, whole other issue in itself. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so I, I still am excited to see it, but again, those are kind of my, my qualms with the casting. How about you, gotcha, Andres? Gotcha. My, my qualms with the casting are well, I'm, I'm in agreement with you as well. I'm sort of halfway into it. Like some of the cast that, that, I've, that I've heard, like, like um, uh, Michael Key as freaking um, Toad, I think is an amazing idea. I think that's great. Um, I think Charlie Day as Luigi is is like, you know, not necessarily the voice I would choose, but I can sort of see that voice coming mm-hmm. out of Luigi. <laughs> and and Jack Black as Bowser, I'm Brilliant. I'm I'm all there for. Like oh, I man. actually saw that, and I'm like, you know what? I actually really do like that quite a bit. Which is so funny because it's not like we hear Bowser talk. Yeah, so it should be should be interesting <laughs> and fun. <laughs> but but the thing the thing that kind of got me more upset more than anything else was the casting of Seth Rogen as Donkey Kong. I would say actually, because here's the thing. When I when I heard Seth Rogen was playing Donkey Kong, it sent a clear message to me that Illumination Studios is back at it to what they what they usually love doing with their films. Which, if you look at the animation, the animation is not necessarily the best. Sometimes it feels a little cheap at points. It feels a little off, and that's because the way they've set up their business model is that they'll cast giant actors and pay the actors the most obscene amount of money just to be in the film and then when it comes to the animation side that's where the film kind of falters and that's where they kind of cut corners around and when you look at stuff like pixar they put the animation first and forward and then they kind of get the voices sort of to mesh with the animation as they're going along whereas this kind of feels like stunt casting more than anything else like like when you say Seth Rogen is Donkey Kong, I don't picture like going like, oh, he's a perfect Donkey Kong. It's like, okay, you're just going for you're just going for the name actors more than anything else. And that sort of permeated throughout the entire cast for me once it got to Seth Rogen's announcement. I was like, okay, well, this is this is just kind of like a studio pick. They're not necessarily concerned with 
um, representation. They are not necessarily concerned with uh, what type of actors they're going to get unless it's a big name star. And that's that's kind of where I felt in the very middle with it. I mean, there's a comment by by one of the actors who was previously in the franchise. I mean, sorry, not the franchise, but in the previous iteration of the film, uh, John Leguizamo, who was a Colombian actor who played an Italian man and no one questioned it. It was it, it, it was it was it was simultaneously like representing for both. And he pulled it off and I thought it was great. And he even said, like, it's like like you look at the original film, there was an Italian, there was a Greek person, there was a white uh, 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 an interracial relationship as well too like you look at that first film they they were trying some stuff and they tried to break some barriers with that original film mm-hmm. whereas this one just kind of seems like okay it's it's exactly what we would imagine illumination studios doing with a super mario movie the only casting out of the bunch that i thought was spot on absolutely perfect is anna taylor joy she is phenomenal as an actress i mean mm-hmm. anybody who hasn't seen the queen's gambit Go so check good. that out. Anybody who hasn't seen The Witch, go check that out. It's it's very indicative of what she's like. I can't wait for Last Night in Soho, by the way, too. Yeah. So, same, same, and, same. Uh, not to completely correct you, but John Leguizamo is actually half Italian, half Puerto Rican. I, oh, really? I, I, I believe he uh, he has a whole special about um, being Puerto Rican, essentially. Uh, oh. to, not to completely correct you, but I just wanted to throw that no, out no, there. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. I, I got that from uh, from Freak because Freak is absolutely one of my favorite one man shows of anything. And he he talked about himself being Colombian. I don't know. Maybe he found out something later on. Maybe 23 Me actually does work, guys. <laughs> you never know. You know, Yeah. we're all kind of mixed anyways. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um. I guess for me, I'm just trying to like when it comes to this movie, it's like I don't want to judge it until I see it. I guess that's like the best way I can put it. It's like, I'm seeing all these big names and I'm like, there's certainly an amazing cast. Like I said, you just dropped like pretty much all the big names that are going to be in this voice cast. And I also don't know what the story is. Like, is it like someone was saying like, Oh, maybe it's like, um, you know, people in real life who aren't Italian, they get like sucked into a video game and become these characters or something like that. And I'm like, Oh, that's kind of interesting. And maybe, maybe that's why they have like Chris Pratt as Mario. But then again, I don't know if it's like going to just be what we think it is where it's like Chris Pratt voicing an Italian character and doing like a silly Italian voice. I don't know. Uh, same thing with Charlie day, even though like understand, I can kind of see Charlie day being a good Luigi. <laughs> like, he's got that like raspy, like borderline <laughs> Italian voice. Like, yes. especially, like if he like really gets angry, but I feel like it could work. Um, but I think it's more so than anything. I want to see what the story is a and B how like the voice work works in context of the story. If it's just like silly and stereotypical, or if, you know, something else is going on entirely where it justifies why these voices sound like, you know, Chris Pratt or Charlie Day or Seth Rogen or whatever it happens to be, because we don't know. They could have something really clever up their sleeves. We just don't know yet. Um, but, you know, like I always get the whole representation thing. You know, you want to see it done right. You don't want to see, you know, people who aren't that race tackle characters like this or, you know, make fun of that race or not do it justice and kind of create caricatures that people find offensive. Like, I don't want that. I don't want to see that either. Um, but then again, I also... Don't know what this movie's going to be yet, but you know, like I'm just kind of I'm seeing this movie's announced. I think it's an exciting movie. Uh, like I think it could have the potential to be fun and like a good time for the family. Um, and yeah, the voice cast is great, although a little bit concerning, like a lot of people pointed out. But again, I think I'm going to wait and reserve my judgment until I've seen the movie 
And then I'll be able to kind of dictate whether I felt kind of like a little bit offended by it, you know, or if it felt like it rubbed me the wrong way, you know, I'm a little Italian myself. So like, you know, obviously I, I don't want to see the, you know, like a caricature done. I don't want to see any stereotypes thrown out there that might rub me the wrong way. Um, but we'll see. I mean, that's where I'm, I'm kind of like, uh, I'm on, I'm on the fence on this one right now. Like you guys kind of. Yeah. That's a good point. I didn't even think about that. What if it's like, the, did you guys ever watch that old school show where they're like in live action and then they actually go down the tube and then they become yeah. cartoons. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. love that show. The, the, the super Mario super show. Yeah. I remember yes. watching that when I was a kid. If it's like that, amazing. I would like that. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. And also, also if you go back and rewatch that show, so many F-bombs are dropped and they've tried to cover it up. And you're just like, oh, they just dropped an (laughs) F-bomb. Yeah, yeah. Look it up. Look it up. Mario. Mario says, fuck Mm -hmm. you to Luigi. It's 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 hilarious. (laughs) You're like, oh, wow. They they, but but again, with with the way that show is done, they did it. They did it on the fly. They had to do as fast as they could so they could match the animation to come that comes along with it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's it's one of those where you kind of see. Yeah, they definitely tried to cut some quarters right here and there. It's fantastic. (laughs) I absolutely love it. But it's one of those that when you go back and you watch it as an adult, you're like, Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> like it's, it, it, it's still, it still holds up as a lot of fun to me. I, 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 I still think so. Well, color me intrigued. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but also the other thing too, um, I propose something. What if a year from now, when the movie comes out, what if we all get back together to review it? Well, I mean, that just goes without saying. I think. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I feel like what we should do is when this movie comes out, we play a video clip of like just little snippets of what we thought was going to happen or what our thoughts were. And then we're just like, well, now it's <laughs> we were so wrong. Like or we right. were so wrong on so many things. But oh, my God. Well, time will tell with that one. But in terms of representation, I want to turn things over to Andres because this month is a very important month uh, and we have a little something to discuss. So, Andres, without further ado, take us away. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing is that this, I mean, this past month has been a Hispanic Heritage Month. And it is, it, it, it is, it is sort of, it is sort of just kind of one of those holidays. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but like, it's kind of one of those that's not gotten nearly as much, for lack of a better word, representation as it's gotten with like other holidays in particular. Like, you know, like there's, like, like at least for the black community, we have uh, Black History Month, and we have, um, you know, Juneteenth now, which you know, it's, 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 it's a, it's, it's more of a recent thing, but it's definitely one of those things where it's like, you know, we have representation for all these other ethnicities, and Cinco de Mayo, while it is a, it, it is sort of, that's an American holiday. That that's not, the, yeah, yeah, that is not that, a Mexican holiday. That, that well, that, that's exactly what i was about to say is that people will go oh well you know what cinco de mayo and it's like no like uh, every every hispanic person i know we don't celebrate that shit like like honestly like my mom i remember being like oh cinco de mayo when i was a kid and then like my mom's like that doesn't mean shit to us it really doesn't it only means shit when you turn 21 and you can have a margarita and that literally is it oh yeah no one else cares about anything else with the date but (laughs) But yeah, with the, I mean, with Hispanic Heritage Month, it is a time to kind of reflect, uh, you know, I'm sure for us in terms of films and, and stuff and not just on the history of our heritage, but also throwing it out there, it, you know, although it's called Hispanic Heritage Month, that also includes if you identify as like Latino, Latina, Latinx, um, any of the other ones you want to, you know, classify yourself as. I personally identify as Hispanic, so, you know, it kind of touches home in that 
and that aspect. Um, but yeah, for me, it's, it's very, uh, I don't hear anyone talking about it. And I think that's the, the biggest takeaway of what Andre, sorry, I cut you off. Um, but what Andre was trying to say was that you don't really hear about it, um, on the shows that I've been involved with on, you know, social media, um, Google, I think, is the only place I've seen something about it. When I go to Google, Google something, it says Happy Heritage, you know, Hispanic Heritage Month. Um, so I think it's important just to bring it to the forefront and kind of discuss it a little bit. And also in terms of, you know, how we've been represented in film, um, you know, typically it's a very stereotypical um, vibe to it. I know there's a lot, especially as a female, there's a lot of roles for Hispanic women that have been more of like the, uh, someone comes and saves us or we're, you know, we have the overbearing father who doesn't want to let us go to school and, you know, they want us to work all day. And that, although have made and been an important story to tell back in the day, I feel like we need films now that are more empowering and kind of show a little bit not so much of a stereotypical part of our, our culture and our heritage. I know. What do you think, Andres? No, I absolutely agree. And, you know, you bring all that stuff up and I'm getting flashbacks to when I saw um, in the Heights and theaters. And it was like, again, it, it was one of those things where it is our culture to a certain extent, but it's not everyone's story. And I remember walking out of in the Heights and being like, you know what? That was good. That was good. And then one of my coworkers over at work being like, wait a minute, you didn't love it. You of all people should love it. And I'm like, what do you mean by that? Oh, no. Here we go. <laughs> like, like, yeah, it's like, what do you mean by that? I can, I can, I can have my problems with certain representation. It's all that other stuff. But like, I know I, I but like even talking about like something like in the Heights, I kind of felt like it was sort of like a watered down version of what that original play is as well, too, in terms of the racial dynamics, in terms of the, gender dynamics between all the characters in particular and like but like you said there, there's not really that much great representation for us in a lot of movies i mean like the ones that we know or the ones that or the ones that we that will say like oh that's great representation is only because of the fact that they've done it so right and there's been legions of film that they do it wrong like probably the biggest one for me that i still irk every time i watch it is unfortunately Michael Pena in uh, the Ant-Man movies. I knew you were going to say that one. Mm. Oh, oh God. Like, like that's one of those that I remember being in the theater and be like, yeah, we finally got a, we finally got a Latino in, in an MCU film. Oh man. And Michael Pena, he's such an incredible actor. Like if you watch Crash, he is the standout yeah. for me in Crash. Like his story is so heartwarming and touching. I thought he was going to go so many places afterwards. Like End of Watch is fantastic on his performance yeah. as well too. Um, but then watching Ant-Man, it's like, yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm a thief. And uh, my father, he got deported. And then my mother, she got deported too. My uncle, he got deported. I was like, wow. Like all the tropes in under like wow. a minute. <laughs> wow. And, 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 it was, and it was one of those things where immediately like everyone just goes, oh, it's not racist. I'm like, oh, are you telling me what's, what's, what's not <laughs> a bad representation for Latinos right now? Like, right. tread carefully, guys. But yeah, that, that's one of those that, that I feel kind of the Hispanic community kind of got right behind that one and sort of went like, no, you need to change that up. Because in the sequel, if you noticed, he's far, 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 far reserved in the sequel. And they actually tried to make him more of a businessman in the sequel, which I appreciate that. But that still was just like, 
there's still a long way to go for for us. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. still a long way to go for us. We're we're not. It's sad to say, but we're not at that point with the black representation in cinema where it's like, okay, now we need to get more diverse characters in, or now we need to represent sort of like the more serious angle of some of these characters. You know, we're still a little ways away from that. And that's not necessarily to say that, that it's just us, you know, Middle Eastern people as well, too, as well, which is why I think Miss Marvel is going to break a whole bunch of barriers when that freaking comes out. So yeah, it's, 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 it's an ongoing thing for us. I I believe. Yeah. Um, no, 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 Nancy, go ahead. Go for it. Oh, I was just to say, you know, there are some films that, you know, I feel do get it right, which mm-hmm. uh, we could talk about after you say your point, Tom. Um, but oh, that's exactly uh, what I was about to ask. Oh, okay. What do we ask? I was like, what <laughs> movies do you guys think actually have good representation? I know there's plenty that don't have good representation, but for you, like, what would you say is like the one that like pops into your mind immediately? Like, oh, I wish we had more of that. Um, and, You know, what's hard is that I... For me, my two top movies that I think of are Selena and Stand and Deliver. And there's there's a good, there's two sides of the- face. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, there, we'll uh, talk about that. <laughs> there's two sides of the coin to that. Um, because one, Stand and Deliver, um, Stand and Deliver, what I love about the movie, uh, especially since my dad was a math teacher when I was growing up, is for anyone who doesn't know the movie, it's about uh, a teacher who comes in, he's Hispanic. He teaches these kids who no one thinks that they can learn because they are Hispanic, essentially. And he goes in and starts teaching them things like calculus, and they're going to pass their AP calculus exams. And at the end of the movie, basically, they think that they're cheating because they say there's no way these kids could pass, you know, these calculus exams. And to me, what I liked about that is just having representation in terms of, look, this is an actual story that happened. You know, our our children are, you know, our people can do the things that, you know, the white kids are doing in school just as well as anyone can. And showing just this really good story of overcoming those challenges. Now, the reason I say there's a, another side to that point is because that also was made what early 90s late 80s late 80s late 80s stand and deliver is like 87 yeah so late 80s so obviously not a recent movie and two again it's just kind of a another hispanic story of like how we overcome things and you know overcome challenges which is great and you should tell those stories but now it's like okay now we need something new which then you get to 97 with selena which again is a good representation of a very um hispanic icon who was about to cross over into the English culture um, and unfortunately, you know, was murdered right before, uh, I think actually right as her uh, crossover album happened. Yeah. So telling her story and getting that out, um, to me, that is one of the most um, heartwarming movies. And it hits home a lot because uh, one of the themes throughout it is that Selena doesn't know Spanish very well. Uh, she actually didn't learn Spanish until she was in high school, even though she sung in Spanish, sang, sang in Spanish um, when yeah. she was very young. Um, and, you know, as someone who is, I feel very connected to my culture, but I don't speak Spanish. You get that kind of wonky, like you don't quite belong to either either of your cultures that you you kind of are a part of. Um, and Edward James almost just does this 
uh, amazing scene where he's talking about how you have to be more Mexican than the Mexicans. You have to be more American than Americans. And you're kind of stuck in between. And, you know, everyone else's homeland is on the other side of the world, but your homeland is like right next door. And so you kind of have to be on your game in terms of kind of uh, navigating between these two cultures. And I really identified with that. So that's why Selena is, is, is really special to me. And I, it's and on top of being a great story. Um, but again, that's, you know, that was made in 97. We're in 2021. Probably need, you know, some more movies. I don't know. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts, Andres? Yeah. Well, here's the thing. When, when, when I did that face, it wasn't because I didn't, I didn't agree with you. It's because you literally <laughs> you took my two picks as well. Oh, look at that. <laughs> look at that. Which, which again, it's, it's one of those that like, you know, stand in, oh, and also by the way, two, two Edward James almost movies right there, guys. Oh yeah. Well, and that's the other thing is when you th- try to think of a Hispanic uh, actor, everyone's going to say Edward James almost. And again, we need like, we probably need more people, uh, you know, coming to the forefront of movies. Um, sorry, I just go ahead. No, 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 absolutely. And here's the thing is that it's, it's going to be kind of, it's going to be kind of a back-edged sword for me to say this as well, too, because like, whenever I think of a movie that, that sort of like, that has like, it's unbiasedly Hispanic to a certain extent, and it's an action movie and it's not supposed to be. It's it's just one of those films where it's like, you know what? Um, it takes place in Mexico. That's that's pretty much where the story is. And there's nothing but Hispanic actors all the way through. And that's Robert Rodriguez's Desperado movies. I mean, it's it's but, but here's the thing is that the reason why the reason why I choose that as well, too, is because it's Hispanics all the way through. And it is, it, 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 it's what's called, it's never brought up as a story element at all. It's never even mentioned. It just happens to be what it is. It's unbiasedly that. It's also representing an action hero. That's, that I remember seeing that movie when I was a kid and being like, holy crap, that's like the most badass of badasses right there. And like, there was a certain point where I was like, I want to be Antonio Banderas. Like, I was pulling a full Guillermo from what we do in the shadow. It's like, you know what? <laughs> I've always wanted to see a Hispanic vampire. And I thought, you know what? He could do it. I could do it. But you know what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> but but there's also the other stuff like um, Alfonso Caron stuff that's coming out lately. Like uh, um, Roma, I believe is, I believe is the title. I could be messing that one up quite a bit. Um, well, and, and then also on top of that, we get stuff like, uh, like um, Coco, which is a great representation representation for Mexican culture. And the reason why that worked is because they had so many people of that culture involved with the making of the film. Even mm-hmm. though you have a white director and even though you have a white screenwriter, they, 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 they kept going out to like all these different, um, all these different representations for the culture and make sure that, oh, you know what? We're getting this right. Oh, how does the tamale look? It's not this giant thing that it is here in America. It's like a small little thing and all that other stuff. Like just those small little touches just go a long way. And I think, I don't think the argument is that we need more Latino talent. We just need more of us represented and more of our voices represented, no matter who's telling the story. Because I'm a Latino, it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm, that I'm not allowed to to write a Black Panther movie, if that makes any sense. So like it's it's one of those things where you have to understand what the culture is, but you also cannot be 
ignorant to say, you know what, I'm going to write it as as I perceive it. If, if you don't have all the separate voices going into you when you're putting out this art, mm-hmm. then it's just going to be it's just going to be the trash that we've seen over and over again. And we're in an Ant-Man situation. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's my long diatribe on that as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we are getting Encanto. So, you know, I'm excited mm. about that. It looks beautiful. You that know, it it's, I'm hoping it's like another Coco in the sense of like, they get it right. Um, mm-hmm. and, you know, it feels, it feels like home. Um, no, I think yeah. Pixar, like, I think they have it right. Like Andre said, I think that they're, it's like, it's getting, that kind of talent in front of the camera, but more importantly, behind the camera to fine tune the things that you need to fine tune, to get all the ingredients you need, to get the right information, the right depictions, because it's one thing to have that kind of representation in front of the camera, but having it behind the camera and behind the scenes is just as important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And there's tons of stories where I have the the Coco Blu-ray and there is mm-hmm. a ton of stuff where they were just like, you know what? Um, because this movie takes place in the middle of... Um, because of the movie takes place during Day of the Dead, we're going to take the entire animation team to Mexico for a Day of the Dead celebration. And it was one of those things where seeing awesome. all that basically redefined what the movie should look like for them, where they were like, you know what? It's a it's a very Halloween-y type of looking uh, scenario for them originally. And it's like, no, it's bright colors. Everyone's happy out there. No one like... Like you think of death and you think of something where it's like, oh, people are depressed. People are sad that's that someone's passed away. Like that, like that was the first movie that they truly represented that when someone passed, it was a happy occasion. It's like, oh, they got to live their life. They got to do everything. They, they had to do so many things. And you know what? They're moving on to another plane. We're happy that they've been able to move on and we're going to keep their memory alive more than anything else. That was the main thing about Coco that I so appreciated of was that. It wasn't an American version of what what Mexican culture was. It was just it was just the Mexican culture right then and there. And what I applauded Disney for doing was when they released the film, they also released two versions. They released the the dubbed version in English, and they also had the 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 the, the Spanish dubbed version in theaters as well, going simultaneously. And on, I went to the theater opening day. Both showings were completely sold out. That's awesome. Wow. That's like like that that, that like I'm, I'm and that was also the same year that we got Crazy Rich Asians and it broke numerous records as well too. So mm-hmm. it, it's it's just one of those things where where for all of us minorities we are starving starving for that representation. And anytime we get it, whenever it's great, we, it becomes memorable and we stick with it. But when it becomes something like a stereotype, we just automatically forget it right off the bat. There you go. Hollywood, we need more representation. We also need more Edward James Olmos. We need both of those things. Always. I can <laughs> never Always. get enough. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, I was so disappointed when, when he popped up in Blade Runner 2049. He only had one scene. And I'm like, come on, give us more gaff. He's amazing. <laughs> Do you know who, who he plays in Coco? A little movie trivia for you. Throw it oh, in there. Oh. Oh my goodness, I'm blanking right now. I know as soon as you tell me, I'm I'm just gonna be so upset. It's Chicharron. He's the the little guy that ends up disappearing. So it's like, oh, I know. No. <laughs> oh, that makes me sad. So they made him play that sad character, but he's in there. You know. He's All right, great. There. Well, now I'm gonna go cry. I'll yeah. Back. <laughs> But uh, shifting gears a little bit to uh, something that's controversial, but definitely not in the same kind of way. Um, Let's talk about Venom, which hit theaters 
this this uh, this weekend, which had a record debut. I think it was the second biggest October domestic release um, right behind Joker, which I think made 96 million. Venom made, I think, around 90, 91 million in its opening weekend here, which is huge, especially considering the climate in which it was released. Um, it's definitely been divisive amongst fans and critics. Critics mostly have not enjoyed it. Fans are kind of divided about it. Uh, I think all three of us now have seen it. Am I correct in assuming that all three of us have seen it? Yes, there we go. Awesome. Um, so we're all going to give you our brief thoughts about it to kind of close out the show today. We're going to start with Nancy. What did you think of Venom? Let there be carnage. I surprisingly liked it. Uh, hey. I, I thought I was going to dislike it. So I did see the first one. Thursday or Friday, and then ended up watching the second one today. Um, Yeah, I thought it was, which ironically, I didn't like the first one as much, and I liked the second one better, which I feel like no one has said yet, Um, which is not a thing. Um, I haven't talked yet. (laughs) Oh, oh, there we go. Uh, There we go. I liked that it was short. I liked that it was an hour and a half. I liked that it was silly. Um, I didn't care that it was silly. I mean, it was a little too much at some points, um, Mm. but it kind of gave me like an old Ninja Turtles, the original Ninja Turtles vibe, especially when he's like in the club and like doing all that stuff. Um, so yeah, I like that. I like that it was kind of campy and, and just, you know, just a silly movie that was an hour and a half that I could enjoy getting it out. Um, but there were a few lines where I was like, oh, okay, that, that was just like awkward and it didn't mm. quite land right. So yeah, I mean, definitely not a, a perfect movie, but I still give it like a like a B B minus, I would say. All right. Andres, where where do we fall? I know you were super excited for it. Oh yeah. Well, me being a comic book fan and me also Eddie Brock slash Venom is probably one of my favorite comic book characters just ever in, mm-hmm. in the entire pantheon of the Marvel Universe. And it is it's not because of the fact that oh he turns into this giant thing. It's also because they delve into something that they don't really delve into in a lot of comics, which is what depression really kind of does look like to certain characters because Eddie Brock, he was at the lowest of lows when he got that symbiote suit in the comics. Like he was, he, he went to church to ask God for forgiveness because he was about to go commit suicide and he got the suit instead. So that, that's sort of a very dark story and just sort of seeing someone being that low and rising up and becoming the lethal protector and being that person that, oh, you know what? I have a kind of a contentious relationship with Spider-Man, but you know what? We're kind of buddy buddies every now and again. Just seeing that people can come back from that was reading that as a kid, that was truly inspiring because I I had certain issues and stuff like that, but like, you know, being depressed a little bit when I was younger and stuff like that. And then seeing that represented was great. Mm. However, that was one of the reasons why I was disappointed with the first Venom. I liked it, but it was sort of a C plus movie for me. And it was one of those that I went back forward and rewatched it. And I was like, okay, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of won me over a little bit here and there and stuff like that. Having said that when uh, Venom, when I went to go see Venom, let there be carnage. I really enjoyed the hell out of that movie. I, I had so much fun with it. It knew the B the B movie status of what it was trying to do. And dare I say it, Andy Circus had more control over the tone than Ruben Fleischer did in his entire film. It mm. was it, it was like it knew exactly what it wanted to do. It delved at those elements of like being so low and the buddy buddy symbiotic relationship between Venom and Eddie, where like Eddie is just 
like 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 you see that moment in the like spoiler alert there's a small little moment in the film where he finds out that Anne is now engaged to the doctor from the previous film and he's driving that motorcycle and he wants to drive it into another car and he just doesn't care about what what happens to him he's depressed again and I just love the, the relationship between Ed between Eddie and the, the symbiote where all of a sudden the symbiote's like no we'll get through this buddy i'll help you and then the next morning what he's doing he's making him all this stuff <laughs> i say either you say either i'm like oh my god <laughs> like i just i just love all that stuff and how they balance some of those dark tones mm. with the comedic elements and i thought it was so well done and and also on top of that it also didn't hurt that i could tell who was who in the finale because mm. in that last yeah. venom movie it's two dark symbiotes in the dark fighting in the middle of the night that like, Oh, I can't tell what's going on. Right. So it, it, it was just, the last film was kind of a big disappointment for me. This one I felt gave me everything that I wanted in the Venom movie and I didn't miss Spider-Man being in it. So that's mm-hmm. pretty much, that's pretty much what, uh, pretty much what I have to say about that. Gotcha. Well, I'm glad that you both enjoyed it. Cause I also really enjoyed the movie and uh, like I like the first movie I enjoyed it way more than I thought I was going to. I went in with such low expectations and I hated that I went in with such low expectations because I love Tom Hardy. I love Venom. I grew up with like the 90s animated series where I loved Venom, loved Carnage. I mean, I'm Spider-Man's my yeah. favorite, you know, superhero, but Venom, I just always thought was so cool and it had so much potential to be a great like movie character. And coming out of the movie, I was like, you know, it's not perfect. And I could certainly see why people hate it, but man, did this thing have some stuff in it that I loved. And, you know, that core relationship between Eddie and Venom is absolutely the best part of that first movie, especially when they lean into it and stops trying to be this like overly serious superhero movie. Cause like the first half of it is honestly very boring and like very cliche. And you're like, okay, is this going to get any better? Like, where's Venom? I'm bored. Like this seems like a, you know, an early 2000s superhero movie, especially in terms of its script. I was like, I am like about to check out if you don't do something interesting. And then finally that, you know, Eddie Brock Venom relationship comes to the forefront and you're like, holy shit. Yes, this is perfect. They nailed it. I just wish, you know, that they focused on it a little bit more and that they, you know, had a better villain. And now we have this sequel here, which I feel like they doubled down on that relationship and they made it it's like someone said it's like a rom-com disguised as a superhero movie. And I was no. like, absolutely, because <laughs> because, at the, you know, at the core of this movie, again, it's really about Eddie and Venom. And now they've got this great bromance of sorts and they're going through a little bit of a rough patch in this movie, but it's so endearing. It's so much fun to watch. They actually legitimately care about each other, which is great to see, you know, like Andre's pointing out that whole, you know, breakfast scene and then him steering the motorcycle out of the way of a car because he cares and wants them both to survive and like be happy and everything. Love that. And their relationship is so much fun in the movie. And I love that there was more humor in it. I mean, I do think there was a little bit too much humor. Like there were some times where like some lines kind of fell flat for me and Mm -hmm. sometimes where there's some cringy dialogue here and there, but I love the fact that they were just going for it. Like seeing Venom in like a rave club, sign me up. Like that was, that was everything. <laughs> that was something I didn't even know I needed in my life, yes. um, which I, I loved very much. So, and you know, I, you know, I definitely want to touch on Carnage too. I thought Woody Harrelson absolutely knew what movie he was in too, which I was really happy to see. Like everyone here knew what the assignment was. You know, Andy Serkis came on board. I thought he was a great choice because, you know, he's dealt with visual effects before. He seems like ideally suited for kind of like uh, a visual effects heavy story like this. And he definitely, like Andre said, has a much better handle on the tone in this movie. I felt like Ruben Fleischer was trying to make a serious comic book movie. Tom Hardy was trying to make like a silly bromance heavy 
you know, like romantic comedy kind of superhero movie. He wanted it to be more goofy and sillier. And that's what I wanted it to be. And this time we finally have like two halves becoming a whole uh, where you could definitely tell they were on the same page and it gelled a lot more. It's not perfect, but as someone who always wanted to see like a live action Venom and a live action Carnage, seeing them on screen together, it brought me so much joy. And I still think Tom Hardy is so good as Eddie and also so good as the voice of Venom. I think he's so good in these movies and I'm very excited. But really the thing I really want to talk about, and well, obviously we're going to give a spoiler warning here. There is a mid credit scene in this movie that is very, very big. So if you have not seen Venom, let there be carnage. I'm going to give you a five second lull where I'm not going to say anything. And then after that, we're going to talk about that credit scene. So if at that point you're still listening, I'm sorry, but you were warned. So in five, four, three, two, one Spider-Man. Let's talk about it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, oh my god! I, I, I literally, when when I saw that credit scene, I was like, you know what? It'd be cool if if it'd be cool if they do it. But knowing all the inner workings between what's going on with the MCU, Marvel, all the rights issues, and all that other yeah. stuff, I was just like, you know what? If it's if Spider-Man is going to be in it, it's not going to be it's not going to be Tom Holland. Then literally. He pops up right there at the very yes. end. Yep. I I stood up and I screamed. <laughs> yeah. Did you oh, guys dude, my lost to, it? Did you put together what was happening when the thing started changing? Because I was like, what is this? The blip? Yeah. Like, what is happening? Yeah. I don't like, know. As, as soon as I saw that flash of light and then I heard a voice on the TV, I'm like, is that yeah. Jameson? Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. shit, this is it. This is it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, I'm so excited that J.K. Simmons is coming back. Oh. So excited. Um, I'm just like, it just, oh my God. Like my theater, like I said, just lost it when that happened. Like literally you just see Venom like licking the TV, like this guy. And then he looks at it and literally my entire theater was like dying. Everyone was like, yes. <laughs> and like, I could not be more excited. Like, I really want to know, like some people are like, is this because of Loki? Is this because of No Way Home? Like everyone is like kind of, you know, has their own theories of what it might be. But like my main question, I don't like I don't really want to delve into how this happened. My question is, mm -hmm. A, do you think that this happened too soon? And B, like, are you excited or do you feel like, you know, Venom should have stayed on his own for a little while more? Like, what are your thoughts? Andres, what do you think? You know, for a little bit, I kind of thought the Venom and the Spider-Man story is so intrinsically attached to each other yeah. because of the fact that Venom is a villain. That I love the fact one of the reasons why I love Venom as a villain is because his origin starts with Peter Parker. The symbiote gets attached to Peter Parker at first, and then it wants so badly to please Peter Parker that when Peter Parker's asleep, the symbiote will actually take over his body and actually kill all the muggers and all this other stuff all around New York while Peter Parker is still technically asleep in his brain. And then all of a sudden, Peter Parker realized, oh my God, this thing is killing people while I'm sleeping. I'm, I got to get rid of it. Mm -hmm. And it also comes from that scorn nature of that Eddie Brock is so down in his luck. And he, you know, Peter Parker slash Spider-Man is also responsible for him getting fired from the Daily Bugle as well and him, him having to relocate. So all that element really kind of really kind of uh, summed up for me is like these these guys are both two rejects. And they found something in each other and they both bring each other up. And that was the big thing that I felt was missing from the first film because of the fact that everyone's like, oh, I want to see Venom and Spider-Man uh, fight together. It's like, no, I want to see, I just want to see the relationship between both these guys fully realized. And, mm -hmm. and they sort of delved in with that where, you know, the symbiote goes, well, on my planet, I'm a reject. And I'm like, okay, 
all right, all right, all right. I get that. But having said that, the fact that Peter Parker is now officially in this universe, I don't think it's too soon. I think it's at the right point in time because Tom Holland only has, I mean, I thought it was multiple films. I think he only has one film left in his contract and it's No Way Home. No, sorry. Uh, yeah, no, no way home. I get confused between all the titles. They, There's a they, lot of homes. Yeah, <laughs> what was what was called like I was joking with a buddy of mine where it's like, oh, um, what the next Spider-Man film should be under the Sony banner should be uh, no more homies or like or like <laughs> no longer homies because because I can I can so That's see amazing. yeah because because I can so see what's going to happen with the next film if Peter Parker and Venom are going to be in the same universe. That to me spells out that. A, they're probably going to push the Venom and Eddie relationship so much more to the point where, you know what? Venom doesn't want to be with Eddie anymore. He's done and he's going to split off. Oh, instead of eating that Spider-Man guy, what if I just became part of Spider-Man? Oh, and, and we're, 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 a great, we're a great symbiotic relationship. Oh, and then Spider-Man doesn't like the way Venom does certain things. I don't think Spider-Man's going to be happy with the fact that he's biting heads with him. Um, so, so. It, it points out a numerous, numerous ways and possibilities for where the story could go. And personally, I'm excited to see that happen. Awesome. Nancy, where do you fall on this one? I don't think it's too soon. I think it's a perfect way to propel getting more Venom movies. And also, mm-hmm. I think another way to get those people who are on the fence about Venom or maybe don't like it as much, get them on board a little bit more by incorporating it into this, into this Spider-Man movies. And I'm super excited because, you know, everyone lost their mind when they saw Doc Ock in the trailer. And now we get even more that we had no idea we were going to get incorporated into this little universe. So I don't think it's too soon. I'm very excited. I think it's a great way to, again, just kind of propel that story a little bit more with Venom and hopefully get some more movies after that. Because, I mean, kind of how Andres was saying, it could probably go in a bunch of different ways after that movie. So. No, I'm glad you actually brought that up about how interweaving Venom into the MCU would just bring him even more notoriety. That's like, I feel like he's already so popular now, but then you put him in the MCU and you're going to introduce him to even more people who like always see the Marvel movies. So now it's like people are going to go from seeing him in the MCU. It's like, oh, let me go check out those other Venom movies. And now let me go see the next one. So it's probably going to make him even more popular. Um, I'm hoping though, because like No Way Home already sounds like it's going to have a lot going on. I'm a little bit worried if I'm being honest. Like yeah. a lot of people are excited. Don't get me wrong. I'm very excited for that movie. That trailer got me extremely excited and hyped up. But I'm also very scared that m- too much might be going on, like a la Spider-Man 3 or Amazing Spider-Man 2, where there's just too many villains, too many characters, you know, where, you know, lots, too many, too many cooks in the kitchen, too many plates up in the air. Um, so my hope is that No Way Home does its own thing. And then I'm hoping that like the credit scene is like Venom finally crossing pads with Peter Parker to set up like their inevitable like movie together or something like that. Because that would be a great way of continuing that credit scene from this movie and like building it up even more while also not like shoehorning that also into Spider-Man No Way Home. Because I feel like that movie's going to already have way too much going on. You throw Venom in the mix. Like you don't want Venom to be kind of like that 
shoehorn thing in like it was Spider-Man three, because we all know how that worked out. Yeah. And I want them to have their due. And I think that those two are worthy of their own movie together, truly, because like you said, that relationship is kind of intrinsic to those characters and they have an amazing storyline in the comics. So I want to see that play out in live action. And like especially with Tom Hardy and Tom Holland, I think that could be so, so good. Um, but yeah, that's what I'm hoping. I don't know about you guys. I wonder if it's going to be more like instead of at the after credits type thing, if it's like almost how Wonder Woman was, where it's like, boop, now you're in at the end of the movie, we're kind of just introducing you and now we're going to save you for the next mm-hmm. movie or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's going to be a springboard towards the next film. Absolutely. Because if if, if there if I, I absolutely agree with you that there might be too many plates floating around above everybody. But I would say one thing to counteract that is that with every single one of the villains that is apparently going to be in this film, we've already had one film to establish what they are. So I'm less worried about Doc Ock or what his motivation is because mm-hmm. of the fact we had an entire Spider-Man two to get right. to know Doc Ock. So mm-hmm. it's, it's almost like the Avenger scenario of like every single one of these films, Thor, Iron Man, Hulk, we've had a film to establish what they are and this film bringing them together we have a lot less leg room to do or, or a lot less more work to do in order to make sure that all these characters all fit with each other. And it's just more of just fine tuning them to the purpose of the story and mm-hmm. seeing where they go along with it. So the idea of the sinister six in Spider-Man, no way home, mm-hmm. if we're using all the older elements, totally okay with totally okay with mm-hmm. my one thing that I hope they don't do is they, I don't want this to feel like a fan fiction film. That's the only thing. I want it to be Tom Holland's Spider-Man film all the way through. In the same way that Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse was Miles Morales' story all the way through. Even though they had six different versions of Spider-Man in there. Mm -hmm. And in terms of how that fits in with the Venom universe, I want these two to coexist with each other. I don't want Venom to all of a sudden be the star of Spider-Man's movie or vice versa. I want both of these characters to very much feed off of one another. And if, uh, and also this would be a reunion for both Tom's because they both worked with each other in uh lock, mm-hmm. which is Tom Hardy's movie where he plays a gangster and Tom Holland actually plays his son in the film. So mm-hmm. that, that that's, that's a little tribute for, for there too. And also shows pretty much how they could work together in terms of building up that, that relationship. So I'm very excited. I'm very excited. And it's less, it's less of seeing both of these characters in the same frame. It's more, I just hope they get them right. That's the only thing. Yeah. Is that the one where he's in a car? Mm -mm. That's cop car. Locked in a car. Wait, no, no, wait, no. Tom, wait, Tom Hardy. Yeah. Lock. Isn't that the one where he's in a car? And then it's literally just him talking on the phone the entire time. I don't think so. Is that? I think it might be. Hold on. Uh, hold on. It was the gangster movie with um with, with the two Toms where you Oh, you mean the... legend? That's legend. Legend. Oh my god. <laughs> oh man. I love okay. how you're like, you mean legend? Oh my god. <laughs> That's what yeah. it is. Let's see. Yep. Yep. Lock is the one where he's in a car. Okay. So I was right. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 you're right. I was, I was locked in a car. No, because you were just like, there's two Toms. I'm like, there was one Tom in that car. <laughs> <laughs> There's only one Tom in this car. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
No, but oh, I, I definitely goodness. agree with everything you had to say, not to kind of be like facetious and be a piece of shit. But yeah. uh... <laughs> again, all those movies came out so long ago. And when you have two movies that sound like they're they both start with L's. I get yeah, yeah. It. But yeah. I, I almost wonder if they're going to do it um, like everyone is on screen at the same time or almost like, um, oh, gosh, what was that? It was an animated Ninja Turtles movie where it's like they went to different variations and met up with different variations of themselves as turtles. So like they had the old school black and white Ninja Turtles That's and they cool. like would meet up. I, I have to find the name of the movie, but I wonder I if it's, a, yeah, okay. no, no, no. Like I had, like, I heard a, a great theory about no way home where, you know, like they keep saying that like Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire are going to show up in the movie. And someone's like, that might be so, but like, you know, someone's like, well, what if, by Tom Holland's Spider-Man, like, you know, having the spell done by Doctor Strange, what if he is now the Spider-Man in each of these different universes? So like when he looks in a mirror, he might see Andrew Garfield or he might see Tobey Maguire. So technically they're in the movie, but they're not in the movie, if that makes sense. Where like, you know, when Doc Ock is like, hello, Peter, obviously that could be clever trailer editing where like, you know, it might lead you to believe one thing. It might actually be because when he looks at Tom Holland's Spider-Man, he's actually seeing Tobey Maguire when it's not really Tobey Maguire, if that makes sense. Which I think is a really cool concept where like you still get those old actors, but it's still like Tom Holland's movie. You know, yeah. if that makes sense, uh-huh. which like because someone's like, well, it looks like he's wearing the same suit as Tobey Maguire from Spider-Man 3. I was like, OK, a little bit of a reach, but it does look very similar. But I also love that idea where I'm like, yeah. yeah, that could be a cool fan theory. But like if that happened to be the case, I wouldn't necessarily be disappointed. I'd be like, that's a cool way of bringing them back while also making this still Tom Holland Spider-Man. Yeah, oh. I, I would love that. And that's why, again, I'm wondering if it's like he's going to go through these different right. like timelines and it's not mm-hmm. going to be all at once. Also, why does Doc Ock look so young? Well, because apparently from what we've heard is that they literally pluck him from the end of Spider-Man 2. Yeah, but he looks so different than he does in Spider-Man 2. Yeah, it's it's this. I mean, it's that it's that. Oh, what was it? Uh, the uncanny valley thing where it's like, yeah, it yeah. still looks a little different no matter how much you de-age somebody. Still going to look yeah. exactly the same. Yeah, I mean, Sam Raimi did say he gave his like seal of approval to how it looked. But then again, like he's not going to say something bad about the movie. It's true. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, no, no. He, he will only say something bad about his own movie. <laughs> like he, yeah. he was yeah, shitting yeah. on Spider-Man 3 for quite a bit. I don't think Spider-Man, I think Spider-Man 3 is a mess. I don't think it's as big of a mess as Amazing Spider-Man 2. It's No, honestly, like I still haven't even watched those. I, I really honest. don't think Spider-Man 3 is nearly as bad as those Amazing Spider-Man movies to me. Like, I actually think there's a lot that I like in Spider-Man 3, even though there are some things I really don't like. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. But going along with the question of whether or not this is a Peter in different timelines or if this is a Peter that inhabits all those, for me, there is a certain there's a certain thing where I kind of want to see two Peters on screen at once interacting oh, yeah, with each other. Of course. <laughs> because 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 here's the thing. I guarantee you, and again, this is all hearsay, but if Toby Maguire is in this film, I'm praying to God that it ends with Toby and Tom having a discussion and basically Tom going, well, I'm the Spider-Man of my world. What, what like like what's the biggest piece of advice that you can give me in terms of being my own Spider-Man? Because Toby is supposed to be an older Spider-Man as well. 
So I just want Toby just look at him and just says, no matter what happens, it's like my it's like my great uncle Ben used to say, with great power comes great responsibility. (laughs) I just want that line in the MCU. God damn you, Russo's. I mean, like Russo's, they nailed every single thing. But like that moment in Civil War, he's like, you know, when the bad things happen and, you know you start to do something and then they still happen anyway. I'm like, no, come on. With yep. great power comes great responsibility. Yep. They're trying to like tiptoe around the line. Yeah. And they, and they tried it so many times, but it was, it was even more gross in the amazing Spider-Man movies where it's like, if something happens, then you, you, you have to, it's your duty to do something, not because of duty responsibility. It's like, mm-hmm. <sighs> <laughs> not being ashamed of the masterwork that Stan Lee gave you guys. He gave you guys a golden nugget. Yep. Run with it. <laughs> yep, exactly. Well, thank you guys for your thoughts on Venom. And after that, that is going to conclude our first ever film on top. Uh, film on top. Okay, there we go. Perfect. Well, we're going to mess up at least one. I was, wait, I was waiting for that to that happen. That was the one. Yeah, that was film the one. We got, it, we got it out of the way at the end. So that, that's great. Well, but I hope you enjoyed the first ever film on tap podcast. We had a blast making it. Make sure to tune into the channel every couple of weeks for a new episode with all three of us delving into more movie news, more movie trailers, more thoughts on the latest in movies. We had a blast. We hope you did too. And before we go, obviously, I want the people to know where they can find you on social media, Andres and Nancy. So Andres, where can people find you on the interwebs? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram as Galagos. You can also find me on High Voltage Media's YouTube channel. Uh, we do a lot of retrospectives. We've just completed a retrospective on any given Sunday. Oliver Stone's 1999 football Sweet. epic right there uh, for the celebration of the start of the football season as well. We also have an episode. If you enjoyed our Spider-Man discussion right now, we actually have an episode where we discuss in retrospect uh, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man film and how it provided the springboard for everything that the MCU is doing. So go ahead and check that out over at High Voltage Media on YouTube. And also you can find me on the FCL uh, every now and again competing with certain people. Um, now that's finally out there, I can talk about it. Uh, I have a match on Tuesday, so yeah, yeah. that's great, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Best of luck, buddy. I'm sure you're going to crush it. Oh, no, I'm, I'm going to need luck. <laughs> well, don't fine. talk like that. Come yeah. on. <laughs> And me, you can find at PL underscore Band-Aid on Instagram and Twitter. And you can find me on the Video Chronic Pop Culture Quizzes every once in a while, losing most of the time, but sometimes winning. And uh, you can find me here now. Yay! And then also... Uh, Andres and I will actually be doing a review of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend hopefully soon, and that will be on Speaking of Schmodown's channel. Awesome. 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 And of course, guys, you can follow, follow me on Instagram and uh, Twitter at Tom Shadowbash. You can type in that same name on Facebook and you should also find me. And if you find someone else with my name, they are an imposter because my last name is unique and that's how life should be lived. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's your variant. But, yeah, exactly. It's probably my variant or Jew creating a fake profile because let's face it. <laughs> oh my God. But uh, we'll see you guys in a couple of weeks. Hope you enjoyed the show. Plenty more to come. Uh, Keep watching movies, keep talking about them, and we will see you very, very soon. Bye.